Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho. Duro, Parlay, Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to keep that conversation going after the show. So, Pad, where do they go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the website. You check out the T Public Store. You check out the Patreon link. Shout out to every ODPH Society patron. One tier, two dollars a month. You check out the social media links. You check out the blog section. You check out the class section which has friends of the show such as three fun podcast dragon master games and so many more you check out the directory because pat how many providers are we on uh four hundred and fifty thousand. sounds about right to me the music section where you hear such great bands as shout at the robots brian wolf tom jolu the list goes on and on and on basically for anything and everything it is the odph you can find it at odphpodcast.com and always on social media remember use the hashtag odph pod kicking off this edition of the show we have to recap an excellent episode on Disney Plus. Yeah. Of a series that we have grown quite fond of, and so has the rest of pop culture, and that is Star Wars The Mandalorian. Pedro Pascal playing the title role of Din Djarjan, the last Mandalorian, or so we all thought, mm-hmm. with his sidekick slash adopted son, Grogu. I mean, at this point, yes. Yeah, we have to kind of just say it. it is what it is. And their adventures through a galaxy far, far away. Season 3 has lived up to the hype thus far. It's gone in a lot of crazy directions, but it has added somebody to this cast that has absolutely knocked it out of the park, and that is Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan Kreese. She has elevated this show to a whole different level. Absolutely. I don't think anybody can argue that. So if you are new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. Drop a five-star review on your favorite podcast player. What we'd like to do is do a spoiler-free statement about the episode we're talking about so we don't want to ruin anything for you so if you haven't seen it you're not like oh my god they're going to talk about it i can't listen not simple we put the liner notes stamp in there that you know when to duck out we also give you a countdown here so we go out of our way to make sure we don't ruin anything for you but if you have seen the episode and you want to talk spoilers stay through the countdown because we go deep diving like nobody else so pad that said Give me your spoiler-free statement of the latest episode of The Mandalorian entitled Chapter 22, Guns for Hire. This episode was awesome, fulfilling like kind of maybe a little bit of a filler, you know, not a whole lot going on in terms of like, you know, advancing the story and, and uniting the forces and saving the galaxy. This episode was awesome. You know, from start to finish, I, I loved everything about it. The action was incredible. The story was awesome. Christ Almighty, the cameo appearances. Yeah. Holy fuck, I was not expecting any of this. You know, from but the episode was great. I was blown away at the amount of cameos that were here. But we have to remember this, and I know we, we mentioned this on past episodes. I even kind of touched upon it a little bit at the intro. Right. This show has crossed over <clears throat> into pop culture. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of people joining the show that we don't think would be Star Wars fans. Right. But it shows how much the fandom has grown across 
the pop culture audience. That you're getting people on the show that you would not necessarily think are really into Star Wars, but yet here they are. And obviously this show has been a monster hit. That's another reason why people come on. But you can definitely see with this episode, people are really embracing their fandom with this yeah, show. Yeah. And this episode in particular. So it definitely had that vibe to it. It started out for me, though, as a little bit of filler. I'm not going to lie. I was not sure where they were going with this, but by the time we got to the end, oh, man, I was on the edge of my seat, and I was marking out. I was so happy with this conclusion. So you definitely want to make sure you check it out. But now, that being said, it is spoiler talk time. So in three, two, one, pad, talk to me. Like I said, the episode was great. You know, between the cameos from uh, the folks who showed up, it was absolutely nuts. The action was incredible, and, and I'm really excited to see where things go from here. It was a very interesting start to this episode. I will say that. <coughs> but seeing the cameos from Jack Black, Lizzo, and Christopher Lloyd, of all people, uh-huh. absolutely blew me away. And I was I was super excited to see all of them on screen. And to see where they dived into the mythos of Star Wars here, this did kind of start, like I say, a little bit like a filler episode for a yeah, degree. Yeah. But it did make sense for where they were going because by the time we got to that end, oh, man. That was, I don't like to use the word game changer because I think that it gets thrown around a lot. Maybe. And maybe I've been on too much uh, wrestling Twitter this week, so I don't like to hear about that. But it really felt like there was a shift in where we're going with the story with only two episodes left after this, too. We have to remember that. Yeah. But a very solid episode. As we start out, the trio of Din Djarin, Bo-Katan, and Grogu are heading to the planet Plazar 15. Mm-hmm. Now... Why are they heading there, Pat? Uh, they are looking for the crew that used to work or be commanded by Bo-Katan, uh, you know, because they're trying to unite all of Mandalore mm-hmm. and, and all the remaining Mandalorians. Yeah, because where this show starts, you see those former Mandalorian soldiers, I guess we can call them, Yeah, are on a mercenary mission. Mm-hmm. And it kind of throws you off at the beginning because you're not sure what's going on. Right. But when you see Simon Casadinas mm-hmm. as X-Wolves and Mercedes Varnado, who is Sasha Banks from the WWE fame, Mercedes Monet from New Japan Pro Wrestling, back as Koska Reeves, you know what they're up to. Right. And this is something that they've touched upon in past episodes that they've now started taking mercenary work because Bo-Katan does not have the Darksaber. Right. Which is the uniting force of all Mandalorians. Right. So now you have soldiers for hire. Doing uh, dirty deeds, thunder cheap. Yeah, and and here I was at the start of the episode, thought they were gonna like answer the question of from the cliffhanger at the end of the last episode. I was like, all right, who attacked the Imperial or the, who attacked the shuttle and, and sprung Moff Gideon? Because you know the you, you end on that cliffhanger, then you immediately start with this crew stopping some sort of diplomatic uh, mission going on or whatever. And they're like, oh, we had no idea there was an, because they're in a Star Destroyer, mm-hmm. you know, or an Imperial class shuttle of some sort, whatever the hell it is. And they're like, oh, we had no idea there's a warlord in this area. Well, I'm not a warlord, but, you know, we still got to get paid. And, you know, this, that, the, I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to get interesting. Yeah. So when you see the trio show up on Plazier 15, they can't exactly go run around the planet. No. They have to check in. And they check into the rulers of said planet, Mm -hmm. and that is Captain Bombardier Mm -hmm. and the Duchess, played by Jack Black and Lizzo, as we previously said. So they do go to this royal gala, if you will, like a royal dinner. It's a very extravagant planet. Yes. And they are more than happy to see the traveling heroes. Yeah. 
which I thought they were almost telegraphing something at, yeah. at first. Like, you saw, I mean, Jack Black has always played an animated character. In yes. Real life. I mean, that's just him. Yes. And Lizzo is always high energy wherever you see her. So to see them really, like, act over the top, and it, like mm-hmm. I say, this is not a bad thing. This is not a complaint. But I was like, okay, I think they might be telegraphing like yeah, a setup. They're they're selling hard because you think back to a couple episodes prior, uh, episode one or two, whatever it was, where Grief Karga essentially like tried to sell Ma- Mando on, hey, I need you to be the the sheriff of this this planet essentially. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, you know what, I can't. I, st- I got all this other stuff I got to do. And he's like, hey, no no big deal, no no problem, no issues, you know, no qualms. Hey, fine, you know, you do you. If we ever need any help, I'm a call away. And this, and in this instance, you know, Jack Black and Lizzo almost wouldn't take no for an answer. Yeah, like it was a weird vibe, but they were just more than happy. But they were saying, "Well, before you <coughs> go on our planet and do your business, you have to do something for us." Right. And Pad, what was that? So there were a bunch of malfunctioning Imperial and Separatists. Yes, from the prequel era and Clone Wars. Yeah, droids malfunctioning, which I didn't realize there were still droids from the the Clone Wars operating at this time. Period. That was a wild statement. Yeah, so they they're malfunctioning, and you know some of them were malfunctioning and killing people. You know, so they they need the Mandalorians to you know, Bo-Katan and Mando to go stop these droids because it's a part of this planet's religion culture laws whatever it is that yeah. they're, they're not armed they can't be armed and yeah they can have some sort of security force mm-hmm. but that security force can't be armed but the way they've got their their setup and done in such a way where if it's a part of your religion or your belief system you're more than welcome to use the guns on our planet your weapons on our planets and, J- and jack black looks at mando and goes your weapons are a very big part of your culture, are they not? And he goes, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, it was a weird setup, but it, it makes sense for Star Wars. It may, And it made sense because I'm like, okay, they can't, they don't believe in the use of weapons, but the people who do are fine. They need your help. Oh, okay. I yeah. see. I, I, I buy the setup of this. So then you see the trio go through the, the city. Yeah. And they do run into a, almost like an assembly line yeah. of droids moving stuff. Yeah. And... Bo-Katan, who, like I say, I think we it's pretty safe to establish now, has been the MVP of the season, mm-hmm. senses what's going on. Right. And she is trying to draw out the malfunctioning droids. She, yeah, she's trying to be a little subtle. Yeah, and how is she doing this? She's asking questions, and she's being a little subterfuge and, and poking around, because she's used to this. She's used to working in the shadows and, and working from behind and not being so overt. Mandalorian? Not so much. No. But once Bo starts kicking the droids and trying to see, like, oh, are they really programmed right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're kind of tipping their hand a little (laughs) bit of what they're doing because once they find the defective one, things change in a heartbeat. Yep. We have this great action sequence after it has been drawn out of the droid running. And and I didn't mind the CGI. I heard a couple complaints online about it. I'm like, it's fine. I don't think it was anything distracting. The, the only CGI I noticed there was issue with was like the security camera stuff. Yeah, that was a little off. That was the only thing I noticed that was off. But I'm not complaining about that. Like, I don't think there was anything that took me out no. of this episode. No. But I did love the action sequence where they're running, chasing it. And you do see when they finally subdue it. Yeah. It goes into an instant crime scene. Yeah. And Bo-Katan takes something off the droid that 
she probably shouldn't have. Yeah. But Bo-Katan is going to do whatever Bo-Katan wants. It's Katie Sackhoff's world. We all live in it. Yes. And it's almost like a business card, so to speak. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Or, or just some sort of like thing you get for visiting a restaurant or something. Yes. And what is this restaurant they're going to, Pad, so it, to speak? It's a droids only. It's a droid bar uh, titled The Resistor. Yeah, so it's kind of a little wild they have this set up on Plazier 15. Again, but something I don't think we've ever seen in Star Wars. I can't remember seeing Could one like this. No, I, I legit was like, this is supposed to be like the cantina? Yeah. But, but this is strictly for droids. So you see them at the resistor, and like I say, the tree, the pair walk in the bar, because Grogu, I don't think Grogu walked Grogu, in there. No, Grogu stayed behind with uh, Jack Black and Lizzo. Yeah, at this stage, he kind of separates from them. So you see the pair now is going in, and kind of trying to get some information out of the bartender. So yep. it's almost like a shakedown. If you yeah. Know. And the bartender is uh, real tight lipped. Yeah. Metaphorically speaking. But they do wind up getting some information though. Mm-hmm. And then we find out the big thing is, well, the droids are not malfunctioning on their own. No. Somebody's behind it. Are they not Pat? Yeah. So there'd be, they find out they're being sabotaged uh, through nano droids because once they, once they uh, coerce, uh, you know the information out of the, out of the bar the bartender. Mm. You know they discover oh there's there's code in here. You know in in this drink quote yeah. quote unquote that the droids use. And oh it's it's a certain type of code that has a source point. And oh if we follow the source point we can see where it came from. But the thing they mentioned is oh these droids aren't smuggled in here. They're they're techno union. Which I'm like, there's a callback. Yeah, I was going to say, you want to break that down a little bit? Yeah, so the Techno Union was one of the droid builders the Separatists used in the Clone Wars. Mm. You know, they they helped build the battle droids and the super battle droids and the droidicas. Basically anything used by Count Dooku's forces, Grievous's forces, they were one of the ones, along with the Geonosians and other, and other ones. They were one of the ones. Uh, if, I remember, if you remember in Attack of the Clones, and some of you I know I'm touching a raw subject here. But if you remember in Attack of the Clones, where you got the guy who starts talking and he go, he goes, his voice gets all garbled and he goes, oh, and he, you know, well, the techno union is gonna pledge our work to you, one of those guys, hmm. you know. So it, so this is again callback for for thirty, forty, whatever many years ago, you know. So the the source codes from there, and they go, well, we got to figure out who's behind this sabotage. Yes, and they do find out. That it is the head of the Plezier 15 security. Mm-hmm. And that is Commissioner Hagalt. Helgat, yeah. Helgat, played by the one and only Christopher Lloyd. Surprised he didn't go 88 miles an hour. Oh, my God. I was waiting for something like that to happen. <clears throat> and he is, like, trying to downplay him a little bit. Like, he's been kind of throwing him off the entire time. Yeah, he sent him in completely the wrong direction. Yeah, which he was trying to do. But, you know, once they start putting the clues together, they come back and confront him. And then, sure enough. He breaks. He, well, he he starts spilling the beans. Yeah. You know, saying how they're like, and I can't remember if it was Mando or Bo, but he go, they went, you're a separatist. And he goes, well, that's a funny way to say democracy. Or, yeah, or, yeah. Or something that like was that. a cool line. Yes, he, he did say that. You know, and I'm like, and, and then he starts talking about how Dooku was in the right and the separatists had it right and, and this, the Jedi are evil and they should have never killed Dooku. And like calling back stuff, I never would have figured we'd have heard in, in this series, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and as he's monologuing, he's and mind you, he's monologuing in a full room. Yes. There's a whole bunch of people here standing here who probably work with him for years and years and years, given his age. 
and are probably flabbergasted by what he's saying right now. And I never would have expected this out of out of the uh, out of the gentleman, you know. So as as he's monologuing, as bad guys tend to do, mm-hmm. uh, Katie Sackoff, Bo-Katan, then shoots like an electro bolt at him, knocks him out, drops him to the floor, arrests him. Yeah, because he's ready to fire. Oh yeah, because like he's he knows that he's losing this he, one. Yeah, he's ready to sit, push a button. He's got his finger over a button on the console that will basically activate every droid on the planet and turn them against humans and wipe out all sentient life on the planet. Yeah, it's a crazy setup. But once again, Bo-Katan, MVP of the season. Takes him, takes him out before he can do this. Yep, while he's talking. Yeah. So, I she, like I say, Bo-Katan understands the situation. Like, every time we've seen her in this, Mando looks lost. She, under, she understood the assignment. Exactly. And I love how, like, we, we had this up on uh, one of our uh, personal Facebook pages about, like, the worst quote you could say about Star Wars. Yes. I love Ron from 3FN called it out like this. Mando is just stumbling through this season. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Din Djarin went from being the ultimate badass <coughs> to now he's playing sidekick. I'll say dude went like one-on-one with uh, Moff, Moff, Gideon. Moff Gideon too. He's just kind of going through life. Yeah, he's just like, well, pff, I'm done. I tap out. I'm good. Bo-Katan is like, nope, this is my show now. And she takes out the commissioner, saves the day, mm-hmm. and due to her heroic actions, Yep. She's told that she can go talk to the Mandalorian army there. Yep. And she pulls up, and the army is not exactly open arms to her. Well, yeah, you got to figure they left her for a very specific reason. We don't know what reason it was other than she didn't have the Darksaber. I feel like there's got to be more to it than that. I do, too. I know they didn't touch upon it, but mm-hmm. you can definitely tell by Axe's actions. Uh-huh. He was he was not so thrilled. Yeah, there's something going on there uh-huh. that we have not even scratched the surface of yet. No. Because Bo comes there, and she is pleading the case with Din Djarin. Yep. And... Axis in there saying, listen, you don't have the dark saber. We're out. Yep. And Bo-Katan does something, like I say, absolutely perfect writing for her this season. And this episode, she goes, yeah, let's fight about it. And challenges him to a duel. Yeah. Uh, Hand-to-hand, one-on-one combat. Yeah. Great action sequence, too, by the way. You know, like I say, I I love the little stuff they do with this because they tie in a lot of the jetpacks, but they don't go full over the top. Yes. Like, that's the thing. It's a very believable fight for Mandalorians. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds kind of a little weird saying, but it's true. Yeah. Because both of them are skilled. Both of them are using the right techniques mm-hmm. and really elevating the action. So you're seeing this, and you could sense like the, the feel of life or death here. Well, so you really think about it. The only fight some fans, if they're just jumping in and watching this season for the first time, they haven't seen anything prior. They haven't seen Book of Boba Fett. You know, they haven't all all they've seen are the movies. Mm. The only Mandalorian fight we've seen, because no offense to Boba in the original trilogies outside of Return of the Jedi, we don't really see him fight. And that's all for a cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, the, so the only fight we really see happen with a Mandalorian is with Jango Fett and Attack of the Clones, where he fights Obi-Wan on Kamino, mm-hmm. and it's jetpack, and it's rocket launcher, and it's the little wrist, you know, wire thing that yeah, you yeah. tie him up in this net. And then he fights Mace Windu with a where he brings a gun a gun to a lightsaber fight, and, yeah. he, and he loses his head. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> so so we've never really seen 
a Mandalorian in hand-to-hand combat with somebody who's not a Force user. And, and this is our first opportunity to see two of them go up against each other. Yeah, so you can kind of understand the stakes were very high here. And, and it really carried the emotion. Like I say, <coughs> when you can tell of how serious the actors are involved in this. Yeah. And like I say, they really portray this as stakes were so high. Like this is life or death. We One needs to walk away with this alive. So when you see Bo-Katan get the upper hand, mm-hmm. and she had a knife in her wrist, and she pops it, and you can see Axe for the first time knows he's defeated and is not exactly, I'm not going to say he was cowering, but he stepped back, and he did not try pushing any buttons. Right. You see Bo gets the upper hand, and he's basically saying, well, you're going to kill me, You're gonna, to paraphrase a bit. Yeah. And Bo's like, no. We are stronger, united together. Mm-hmm. So she lets him up. Yep. And then Din Djarin comes in and says about the Darksaber. Because Axe is brought up. He's like, well, why should we listen to you? You still don't have the Darksaber. Right. And Din Djarin says, well, funny story about that. I'm going to give it to her. I'm going to give it because this is what happened. When we went to Mandalore, I got defeated. I got captured by a cyborg, a spider cyborg. Mm-hmm. Bo had to save me. So technically, she owns the Darksaber. Well, she she had to save me, and to save me, she had to kill the thing that defeated me. So technically, process of your like the rule of succession, you know, she's she's rule of the Darksaber. And he looks at somebody, I don't remember if it was Axes or somebody else. He goes He looks at Costa. He looks at Costa and he goes, That logic checks out, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And they go along with it. Yeah. Or as we like to call on the show. Reasons. But at that moment, Bo-Katan gets the Darksaber back. Mm -hmm. Finally, the Holy Grail has been achieved. And she pops that open and is standing there and is basically like she could have just raised the sword up and been like, it's go time. That is the moment that has been building for her (coughs) for seven. Yeah, six episodes. Six episodes. Six episodes. This is where we've been building. Like, you know, we, we talk about on wrestling. Yeah. You know, finish the story with Cody Rhodes right. and, and Sami Zayn and not Dominic Mysterio, who is Mr. 90210, according to one um, Tom Craven from Off the Cuff Gaming. I had, <laughs> I had to throw that in there because he's not Mr. <laughs> 619. You have this moment where it's finally been building and you see almost the redemption arc mm-hmm. with Katie Sackhoff's character. As it closes out, she is now leading this Mandalorian army once again. Right. And now rightfully so. Like, there's no question, no doubt, no anything disputing this. Mm -hmm. And it really has been about her this season. Right. And I'm not mad about this one bit. Because, like I say, she's elevated her stock in how her character has just grown into, like, the leader. Because, like, for me... I did not know anything about her sure. except for this show. Sure. You obviously know. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Well, I haven't watched Clone Wars many a times. Yeah. Right. So, like I say, to make that breakthrough to the pop culture audience, it's almost in a weird sense like pro wrestling. Yeah. In, in, a, in a very awkward sense. Yeah. But, I mean, am I wrong? No, you're not. No, not at all. So, in this situation, now what's the payoff going to be? I think all signs point to her and Moff Gideon facing off. Oh, I guarantee you. Yeah. yeah at some point. Yeah. So where we go from here, I mean, honestly, that's the only thing I can see. 
But as far as the Mando's story with Grogu, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we literally got two episodes left. Yeah. We do know that Dave Filoni is directing or no, writing. I'm he's, sorry. He's writing the next episode with Favreau. Right. So we know that chances are, if we want to do locks and leap style, Ahsoka is going to be on the show. Could be Ahsoka, could be uh, Sabine Wren or some of the other characters that are going to show up in the Ahsoka series. Right. Because the Ahsoka series is taking going to be taking place in this same time frame. Yeah. So I imagine right. that's where we're going to set it up. Could be. But it's really anybody's guess. But if you think about it like this, Mando's story can plug and play anywhere right now. Right. He doesn't need anything like a linear <clears throat> journey. Right. He can just kind of go to different planets and stay out of the Empire's way. Or if he's going to go back to Grief Karga and set up shop, that would make sense too. But he has a wide open playbook. Bo-Katan's story now starts Chapter 2. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the biggest payoff for fans moving forward because we do know Star Wars Celebration is when, Pat? Starting, I think, maybe this weekend. So I suspect that we might hear something of a spinoff show coming out of this because I don't think they're going to wrap up Bo-Katan's story in two episodes here. I think that she's done too much progression through the season that they can't just say she's going off into the sunset. I think that we're going to see a lot more of her down the road, which I'm happy about. Like I say, I can't, right. I cannot scream to the highest heavens enough about Katie Sackhoff's performance this entire season, let alone this episode, solidifying that she is the true Mandalorian. Maybe it's going to be a sense that she transitions and the show comes about her. Probably not. Yeah, I looked it up. Uh, Star Wars Celebration is taking place from April 7th through the 10th. Yeah, I, I knew it was coming up, so I imagine we're going to hear something more yeah. stemming out of this. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Because like I say, it would be one hell of a move if they transitioned. Well, because well, you know, well, I, Mandalorian might take a backseat. I know Favreau said he's still writing stuff and it's not going to end and this isn't going to be the final season. But I wouldn't be surprised if it takes a little bit of a backseat for a while because we know there's some other, some of the other shows... They've announced. I wouldn't be surprised if they announce a Bo-Katan show. Yeah, you I know, agree. Because you look at what happened in season two with with Mandalorian, where they brought Boba Fett back, and he was a bit focal point of season two. And mm-hmm. then after season two, he got his own show, Bo-Katan, real featured heavily in this season. Could get her own spinoff show. It would make a lot of sense. Like I say, and especially if we want to look at it from the Hollywood aspect, right? Pedro Pascal is a busy man. Yeah, he is, and he ain't getting any less busy. Right. So for him to fit time in to do the show, obviously he would. Right. But I think they're going to kind of cater to his schedule. And then, you know what? I'm not I'm not mad about that. No, and, and listen, we know from what Bella Ramsey said about season two of The Last of Us, it's either going to start shooting at the end of this year or beginning of next year. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's going to take up a lot of time. And Lord knows what all else, you know, uh, he's got – Pedro Pascal's got going on besides just these two franchises. Yeah, so it's really up in the air. I think we'll get a lot more clarity going into this weekend with Star Wars Celebration as we record. Yeah. But that all said, excellent episode. Really love the ending. And with two episodes left, it's wide open where they're going. Pat, final thoughts on the episode? Fantastic episode. One that I think everyone needs to watch at least twice because I'm sure there's a lot of Easter eggs in here that I missed watching this morning, especially in the droid bar. I know you know they like to sneak little Easter eggs and and fun stuff like that for the fans and and big scenes like that with a lot of characters in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So definitely give it a watch. Show it to your friends. It's, It's a great episode. Chapter 22, Guns for Hire, 
episode six of season three of The Mandalorian has really been a excellent one <laughs> on social media. A lot of people are talking about it, but we need to talk to you about it, ODPH Society. So we gave you our talk. Now we want to hear yours. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH pod. What is your thoughts about the latest episode of The Mandalorian? Let's discuss, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ooh, I've been dying to try this place. Oh my God, me too. I've heard such good things about it. Welcome to the Crime Diner. I'm Cindy. I'll be cooking for you this evening. Here are your menus. Ooh, what are you thinking about getting? I don't know. Murder with a side of cannibalism? What about you? Ooh, that sounds good. I'm torn between historical mayhem and the social injustice, maybe? Oh. I just want to let you know that each episode comes with dinner, dessert, and a specialty drink chosen by yours truly. Wine Dine and Storytime has had a makeover, and we invite you to slide into the booth with us at the Crime Diner, where each week we will discuss a crime over dinner, drinks, and dessert. See you there! Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast and ODPH Society, we have a special guest on the line. I At this point, like, why are we even saying guest? Like, we should say, a family member is returning to the show, and you know when he <laughs> comes through... We got a big book to talk about because in less than 24 hours, he has already crushed the Kickstarter goal. But don't dismay that from you going to get this book because you need to have issue number one in your life, issue number two in your life, and his other series that if you listen to the ODPH a lot, well, first and foremost, thank you very much, you already know the magic, pun intended, behind everybody's favorite Faustian magician, Pocus Hocus. But we have our friend family back on the line because it is issue two time for the horror series you need to have in your collection yesterday, and you better have it by the end of the Kickstarter campaign, which kicked off (laughs) April 4th. Welcome back to the ODPH from Top Hat Studios, the one and only Alan Dunford. Alan, what is going on, fam? Listen, I just want to come on here just for the intro stuff. (laughs) It's just, man, it's it's just awesome to hear. You get me hyped up. (laughs) Thank you. This is all top of the head, too. Patty can attest to. I'm not writing anything down. No. Which makes it all that much more genuine and better. But, guys, I am fantastic. I'm so happy to be back again. and, And just thank you all again so much for having me and uh for uh liking our stupid ideas <laughs> stupid well you know what the thing that i i think that we always champion you guys a lot and uh, you know I, I get hit up a lot from the odph society about this is like you guys are really pumping top hat studios and i'm like yeah because for me as a longtime comic reader i get excited when creators really go above and beyond to get word out about their books and they have a certain energy about it and you guys have always since day one have always really been fans first creator second if i can use that term and and i think it shines through because when you read your books they're definitely high quality but they take very simple com you know themes you know concepts Mm -hmm. and really run in fun directions with them that you're sitting there going like okay i really enjoyed this book and for me personally, like I've never been a big horror 
comic reader, which I know is weird because ever since I started this podcast, I think I've grown in that genre uh, to the yeah. point to the point people think like I'm going to cons for it and now and such. But it's really a testament to what you guys do from top to bottom at Top Hat that now seeing the growth and and prime example of it is the Kickstarter campaign hit over $3,000 in 24 hours. I mean, yeah. how is that, you know, just got to be for you guys top. Let's, let's start off with that. Um, it, it's awesome just to see the, uh, the outpouring of support, right? Because there's, whenever you do have certain ideas, you, you recognize that some of them are hard sells, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Pocus Hocus. I, I think that that's a hard sell because there's so much happening. In it and now we're, we're getting up to issue six it's just like, man, it's just one thing after another. Like, how do how do we keep pitching this thing, especially to someone new? Mm-hmm. And, and Grandma Chainsaw is kind of the same way, right? Because there's only so much that we can really talk about it. Yeah. Because we don't want to give too much away. So on the surface, yeah, it's a slasher horror comedy series. But really, you know, you guys have had a chance to read issue one already. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more in it and so many twists and turns. And it just gets absolutely wild. And I know every creator will say that about their work right Mm. it gets crazy promise stick with it you'll love it it's like someone um pitching you a television show and they're like yeah just watch it it gets really good at season six yeah right (laughs) but we we we, promise yeah we call that the agents we call that the agents of shield season one like (laughs) just get to the captain america two episode you'll be fine yeah, you'll be good. So, yeah, but like with Grandma Chainsaw 1, you know, yeah, it may sound like a, a stereotypical uh, plot and everything, but we promise there's so much more to that, even with issue one. No, absolutely. And I, I mean, let's backtrack just a little bit. Last time we were talking to you is Pocus Hocus 5, another smash hit out of the park. What has been going on with you guys since then and now? Um, A lot. <laughs> <laughs> that, you, that you can talk so, about. I don't want to get you in any trouble. Yeah. Um, so Pocus Hocus 5, we, we launched that. We're, as of recording this, uh, we're just waiting for the print order to come in now and we can get that out to everybody's hands, which we are just Let's beyond go. stoked for, uh, because the book really did turn out beautifully. And it's one of those things where we send out the PDFs. We never really hear a lot back about PDFs, uh, because a lot of people like to wait so they have the physical in their hands, which I get that mm-hmm. right? because th- there's, you know, I-, I do understand the digital audience, but there's also something to it just about having, having a book in your hands. Right. Yeah. Um, especially a comic book. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so we immediately started uh, production back over on Grandma Chainsaw. We did another short story for uh, Roseblood Manor number two, which was called The Skinner. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, and I got a chance, and you got a chance. To, I'm not sure if you had a chance to read it, but I did send it over to you I, so you can at least check out some of the pages. It's dope. It's it's very dope. I like I, I try not like spoiling anything when I when I read it because I don't like I, I'm always worried like I'm gonna post something because I'm so excited. It's just eight pages. I don't know how else to. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? How you keep it condensed? Oh, I. I no, but no, but it, yeah. it it without spoiling anything, like it it hits the point right away. Like there's really no like gray area, so to speak. Yeah, it does what it says on the label. Yes, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you get what you pay for. Yeah, so we we have that. Um, the script for Grandma Chainsaw Three is already done. Pocus Six is being storyboarded. Uh, the next campaign after Grandma Chainsaw, I guess we'll talk about that uh, here coming up Ooh. soon. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, no. Right, so we'll we'll save that for another question. We'll yeah. save that for a closer. Yeah, we'll save that yeah for the closing out yeah. because obviously this is all about Grandma Chainsaw number two. The link for this is on odphpodcast.com right on the front page. So just click on the awesome cover image. It's a variant cover. So you definitely want to make sure you go check out all the bells and whistles going on with the campaign, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Because when you're gearing up for Kickstarter, and especially you guys have had so many successful Kickstarters, was there anything that you're seeing here going, okay, we got a brand new book out, we've been on a roll, is there anything we want to try different or just kind of keep the same formula or going in the process of the Kickstarter campaign? Did you really sit back and go, okay, we like feel any pressure to do something you know special, like more so than you normally would? Yeah, we we already have several ideas, you know, in the chamber that mm-hmm. are kind of ready to go whenever we actually have time. Because, you know, I again, we we've talked about this before. It hurts and helps in the same breath by whenever you really kind of stick with the same creative team because you guys can only work so fast, right? Yeah. Uh, and I never want Brian to ever feel pressure or like he has to draw all these books. Like I, I, I want him to draw them because I just love working with the guy. And I, I think he understands our, our vision. Yeah. Right? And, um, you know, so we, we do have some books coming up and we're, we're trying to be smart about how we release them too, because whenever we're working on anything it's we want people to expect the unexpected i know that may sound cheesy and cliche and all that stuff no but it's it's honest yeah so we we have two book series that are going to be coming up that we're already kind of uh brainstorming the ideas for and that is going to be a more serious noir detective story and what we're thinking about doing with that one is just making it into a graphic novel because we think it will be a easier sell Okay. And, and a better way to better way to do it that way. Just hey, this is this is a one shot graphic novel. Enjoy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just because sometimes like these kinds of stories can get lost in the shuffle, because you know there's going to be a lot more depth to it, but it, it is going to be a slower burn and a slower pace till we get there because we really want to build the tension that this story is bringing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one kind of falls more in line with. Uh, what you would expect to out the gate, right? Uh, the the other book that we're already developing is called Deacon Dan's Famous Chili. Oh, okay. It's about, it's about a deacon named Dan who has won the church chili cook-off for 13 years in a row. And uh, we, we get to find out what his secret recipe is. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can only imagine, and I'm super yeah. excited to check that out. So yeah, Deacon Dan's famous chili. We think the title of it's uh, we think the title kind of you know, it's pretty good, right? It's it's fun. It's absolutely yeah. fun. So we're uh we're having a lot of fun with that one. We think that one's gonna be uh it's gonna be nuts. <laughs> so if you thought Grandma Chainsaw was crazy, which Grandma Chainsaw does get absolutely wild, Deacon Dan is is crazy but on a on a different part of crazy. See, that's going to be tough to top because, I mean, Grandma Chainsaw is wild. Like, it is, no lie about it, it is a wild read in in the best possible way. But to see that, yeah, Deacon Dan's Chili, oh, my God. Deacon Dan's famous chili. (laughs) I can only imagine that. And you guys have got to be doing some great marketing for that. Uh, Yeah, that that one's probably going to be a tough sell, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, be surprised. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's the whole thing about it, too. I mean, you have such a wide variety of things you can do for Kickstarter, and especially for, right. you know, re- you know, relatable merch that, you know, and you of try. Of course, 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go right ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, and of course, you know, we, we are still sticking tried and true with Pocus. Uh, that is a, that is a series that we really have no intention of stopping on because mm-hmm. the the subject matter and how the story's structured and the world that we've kind of created, we feel like we're only scratching the surface for for what this story can be, and it lends itself better to an ongoing series than mm. some of these other ones, right? Because again, some of these other stories can overstay their welcome. Yeah. We talked before, we, we don't want a, uh, a Jason goes to Manhattan situation on our hands, right? Where we, we don't know what the hell we're doing with grandma Hazel when we just keep throwing her in just like weird situations, right? Mm. We, we, we have a story in mind and we just want to stick to that and tell it and then just hope everyone enjoys it. And that's the best thing, too. I mean, you kind of have a good sense of the temp in the room. And you always see you're about, like, more or less, like, in pro wrestling talk and more mm. pro pro sports, I should say, is probably a better analogy. When you see, an, you know, a great athlete stay on too long, it's like you kind of know when it should get wrapped up. Like, the career should kind of wind down. And right. it's almost like in the same story, like, in how you touch upon, too, is, like, there's a great way that you can do a graphic novel and that's still very, you know, viable or you can do just ongoing series and kind of play around from that. Right. Yeah. And like you said, we thought the graphic novel format was, was the best way to tell this story yeah. with uh, one Sunday afternoon, but we'll definitely have more of that uh, whenever we're, uh, we're a little bit further along. So yeah, for right now we're focusing on focus and we're focusing on grandma chainsaw. And that's exciting to hear. And especially too, with you guys having such a successful Kickstarter we we've talked off air about this a little bit and and just kind of yep. watching the social media temp in the room if you will and it seems like the kickstarter campaigns you might get the sense that it's a struggle to really have a successful book these days so yep. let me ask you this you've been doing this now for a few years what's your take on the market as it is right now in your opinion yeah so being in this for we'll say gosh i think finally it's we're almost at the 2 year mark now which crazy yeah. right, to think about it um so we're almost at the two-year mark and i i think what you're seeing and obviously i don't have any statistics to back up what i'm saying it's, mm-hmm. but sometimes a, a gut feeling is a gut feeling right, right? um I, I think what you're seeing is the comic book market and the creative market kind of shifting to crowdfunding and um it's good and bad in the same breath because it's awesome that you're seeing crowdfunding being uh yeah. I guess socially acceptable mm. because sometimes people can look at crowdfunding like, Oh, well it's a hit or miss market. You may not get what you pay for all that stuff. And I totally get that. Yeah. Right? Like I understand that. But now from where you see bigger names starting their own kickstarters mm-hmm. or, or doing their own thing on a crowdfunding uh, platform, it's kind of cool to see it being like, Hey guys, like it's cool to do this. It's fine. Like th- these are just people that want to tell their stories in this way and they think this is the best way to do it and you you get a different experience uh being i guess in in the kickstarter thing because you get more of a one-on-one experience rather than when you go to a shop Mm -hmm. to to buy a comic book or something like that uh so that's awesome but again the the bad part is then now there's more right Mm -hmm. so there's more for people to choose from and uh you know, money's tight for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. Like it's, it's facts. Uh, it's facts. Yeah. yeah money. Oh gosh. Things, things keep getting more expensive and I keep getting paid the same. Yeah. Right? So amen. Uh, amen. Yeah. So, you know, you, you need to really decide how do I stand out 
then, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you do see a lot of campaigns and, and people who um, I, I follow, um, and their campaigns aren't funding as fast as normal. Yeah. Right? And they're great creators, great storytellers, um, but it's just it's how the market's shifting, and it's just crazy. And Kickstarter is. I think that's the one thing too, where it has so many positives, but it can also be so volatile because you you don't know what to expect. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that you, it's all it's a roll of the dice no matter what, and especially yeah. to be doing an indie book and seeing just how the market has shifted over the past couple of years alone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little intimidating, but I liked how you you brought it out how it's it's almost become you know popular to do Kickstarter right. because like we've seen like a great example of this is Keanu Reeves's uh, berserker that he did as oh, a Kickstarter. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that got a lot of people's attention. And I know some people are saying, well, you know, he's a movie star. He can just fund his own book. It, it doesn't go that way. And especially like right. for a project like that, like, sure, he's a, he's a huge movie star, but you don't know how that translates to a comic audience. So I think him doing the book on there, I thought was a great thing. The series is, was fantastic, and you know, obviously, yeah. you know, a huge success now as it went to uh, Boom Studios. So to see that now, you know, like in in your instance, you really get a, a true test of like, okay, we've gone through this, and we're seeing that now, like more people are kind of in the same swimming pool as we are. So how do we all stay afloat? And it's just one of those things that you really get by by the content that you do and how well you guys market your book out there, too. Like, I know you are always hitting the podcast circuit. You're always doing interviews, which is awesome. And just how aggressive you go at it, I think, has been such a key to your success. Yeah, I I think, and it's weird because, like, yeah, it's it's a lot, you know. Um, but it, it's also what I'm passionate about, right? And mm-hmm. I... You know, it's one of those things, too, where, like, I just talking to you guys and, and just whoever, like, it's it's kind of cool because you you really get a chance to express yourself. And again, this is why uh, crowdfunding is such a unique beast is because you get to a lot of times you get to know about the creator before you even buy the book. Yeah. And it's it's cool to, to kind of see that. And then I guess it's also uh, you could take it personal, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, they don't like you. Yeah, and they don't back your book. Then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's always a tough thing because what you try yeah. doing is, you, I mean, I think every creator, I think this is probably a, a very honest statement here. Every creator that puts out a book tries putting out the best product they can, and it just oh, dep- yeah, definitely, and it just depends on how it catches the audience and just timing and where things are in the world, and you know, it's just everybody has a different story they go through about it. So to see mm-hmm. that, you know, you guys have gone through this journey for two years now plus and still showing that success, but still sounding as hungry as ever. I mean, yeah. I think, I think it's something that a lot of fans can relate to because when you hit a certain level of success and especially like, you know, indie book or major book, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. You sign, you sometimes wonder as a fan, like, you know, do they still want it as, as badly as they did the first time? And when you start to hearing creators, like still like, hitting the pavement, getting the word out, you know, getting very aggressive on social and, you know, trying the, the different platforms to get out, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, mm-hmm. Facebook, you know, like what have you. Just having that vibe of just saying like, hey, it's a fan thing first because you're fans of your own product. I think that goes yeah. so, that goes such a long way. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing, right? Like, I, I hate to say it this way, but it's, it's true. Um, you know, you're only as good as your last work, mm-hmm. right? And especially from where you're, you're trying to, to gain notoriety, you're trying to gain popularity, you're, you're trying to, you know, you're, you're just, you're just trying, 
Yeah. You, you really, you, you have to always improve and prove yourself. And, and we hope that we've done that going forward because again, everyone on the team, uh, we are our own worst critics mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's healthy uh, to a degree because we're always trying to push ourselves then. Yeah. Well, you, you don't want to say stagnant. I mean, that's the one thing because when you, when you get to a certain level, you almost think like, okay, well, you will clear the campaign in a day, you know, like, and you never want to get in that situation because you just don't know what the market's going to be then because yep. times change so much. And, you know, there's everybody has different economic factors that go in through throughout the year. So to really hit the book and really nail it, I mean, that's just something to be attested to. And then especially when you're coming off, like, like I say, and like it, it might sound like a broken record about it, but when it's fans first, creator second. Like that goes such a long way because it's a very relatable to comic buyers to say like, hey, you could you could tell on the pages. Too. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. yeah. I, I think yeah. I think that's something that shines through. I mean, I remember reading Pocus One the first time, and that was the vibe I got. And now we're five issues later. There, well, technically seven with Grandma Chainsaw Two. That vibe has not gone away, and that's a great awesome. thing. That's a great thing. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I, I'm really, really glad to hear that. <laughs> no, I mean, not seriously. Like, I think that there's just something because I always show your issues to fans that want to see them, like around here locally. And I always mm-hmm. tell people, like, hey, if you can find it at your local comic shops or wherever you can find it online, you know, like this is where you need to do it because, you, like I say, you never know where the book's going to pop up. Like this is one thing when it goes to the live open for Kickstarter, it just kind of travels. Right. So, yeah, so it's just a matter of getting eyes on the product and word of mouth is something that travels too. So that that's a big thing. And that kind of leads me to my next question. We are getting into officially con season. Uh, C2E2 is just this past weekend. We had WonderCon. I know that, well, Star Wars Celebration is coming up, but that's a whole different ball of wax. But uh, do you think with con seasons coming up, is there any plans to really kind of take the marketing to that level? Uh, yeah, definitely. So uh, we're starting small because um, I don't know what to expect. And I've seen stuff from like C2E2 or, or Megacon and stuff like that, right? Like it looks overwhelming, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially like even just walking through it seems overwhelming. So I couldn't imagine running a booth, right? So um, we're going to be going to uh, Lord, I think it's in August um, <clears throat> and it's Collector's Con in Ohio. So okay. we'll be there. I'll, I'll know the dates uh, and times a little, little closer to time and everything. I think it's the first time they've ran it, which is going to be kind of cool to see. Um, so, yeah, we're just kind of like, again, we're, we're going to start. Uh, I, I say this now. We're starting small, but watch this thing be like massive. <laughs> you yeah. have no idea what's about to happen to me. But, yeah, so that's going to be the first con that, that we're doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, just really excited. Oh, absolutely, dude! That's I'm so happy for you guys because I I can't wait for the public to to stop by, and that's one thing too that I noticed from going to New York Comic Con as much as I do. We always try, like me and Pad and uh, Rich from Three FN, we always try swinging by a table that nobody really knows and just kind of just <laughs> chatting up and, and kind of getting the vibe of a creator. And that's led us to some really great independent books that we picked up, and to see then right. the growth of some of those writers and artists now that you know are doing a lot bigger things. It goes to show just like how important cons are in the sense that you really have that connection, much like Kickstarter, that one-on-one experience. And it's, right. you know, it's a level of anxiety, but a level of excitement too, that trying to put into words, I think is just tough. But for you guys going there, that's going to be like, I think the next level for you is just now people are putting your faces to the product. 
Right. And, and again, I'm, I'm excited because, you know, there's always that little hope, too, that um, we're, we're doing it and someone shows up that actually knows us. Yeah. Right? Or, or someone that made a special trip just because they live relatively close. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of a that's kind of a cool thing to to be hopeful for. But if not, hey, listen, um, my my ego is checked already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So so it, it will just be cool if it happens. But uh, I'm not expecting it. To. <laughs> hey, you, I will say this. Yeah. Un- unbiasedly, because I mean, we don't reveal our numbers on on the shows here, but with the amount of views and downloads between the blogs and the podcast episodes you swing through, I have a very good feeling <laughs> that you're going to have at least one person stop by and okay. go, "Oh, I know you guys." You know, I'm like, "Oh, hey, cool." <laughs> yeah, top hat. Yeah, yeah you know, like it's us. Yeah, it'll be you know something like that. You know, I I can I can say that. I, I'll I'll say that's a safe bet. I'm not going to say it's okay. a lock, but I'll say I'll say it's a safe because it just right. de- it just depends on how big the con is, you know. But like if you went to a bigger one like New York or something, oh, I guarantee you somebody would be like, "Pocus Ocus. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. Oh, that yeah, that'd be just amazing hearing somebody yell that across the Javits. I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah. I know that book." <laughs> I mean, that's, and, but it just goes back to being the fans first. And, I mean, that's the big takeaway that I think that anybody listening to this is going to hear because you're going to have people that are going to get excited about this. And, you know, looking back, like, what do you think has been the biggest win and the biggest learning experience from doing this project? Um, The the biggest win has obviously been all, all the uh, the friends we've made along the way, right? Uh, the, yeah. the, biggest, the biggest win has been just getting to meet all these people and, and – just learning so much. And I guess like they both tie into each other Mm -hmm. because the, the biggest learning experience too has been um, what can we do better? And um, are we happy with this product and looking back on it, what can we do differently or did we market this correctly? Did we, did we do everything as we needed to? Did we uh, really shine high or highlight something that needed to be done? So it's just it's kind of cool to always be looking back and be objective, mm-hmm. right? You know, I feel like if we go back and look at this thing and think, no, we did everything perfectly, we're wrong. I mean, every campaign has its faults. Yeah. Um, there, there could always be something different that we've done, um, but really, uh, the the win outshines that because of all just the the great people that we've made and even just people messaging us and saying, I can't wait for the, this issue. That just means as simple as that message is, it, it's so much more to us than that, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, it's it, that has to be the most gratifying thing when you have somebody just reach out and say like, "I'm super excited to see what you guys have coming," and mm-hmm. that just is indescribable. Like, just because yeah. it, it's the biggest, in, in my opinion, it's not monetary, and you know, money is great and all, but just to get that affirmation that you're doing the right thing because you've connected with somebody on this level that yes. you're giving them a product that is giving them enjoyment to that level. Like they want to go say some something to you. And like, for me, I always kind of say that's why I always go get like autographs at, at comic cons, because that's the biggest way I can say thank you to somebody for the excitement they gave me. Like, right. you know, getting autographs is not something for, like, you know, putting on eBay and selling. It's just my way is, like, standing in line just telling that writer or that artist, thank you. 
and just having that moment. And, you know, like I say, it's just, it's an indescribable feeling. And especially like if you're on that other side of the conversation, that's just gotta be so mind blowing. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Yeah. So in closing, is it safe to say the summer that is coming up? Is it the summer of scare for top hat studios? (laughs) I I think it's, uh, I think it's every, uh, uh, I I, th- I think every season's the summer of of, of scaring, right? Um, just because we we it, I, I never like to consider ourselves to be you know horror writers, but it seems like that's kind of like it's kind of the vibe always, a little bit. Yeah, it's what we're leading to. You know, focus has horror elements to it and everything. Yeah, uh, but we we always try to be be fun and unique with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so coming up next for us. Um, you know, if we ended up diving straight into Grandma Chainsaw Three, the the next campaign that you can look out for is the uh, the fully fleshed out Horus and Hell series. Ooh. Um, okay. So Kit, Kit Wallace has been hard at work on that. He just gave us a uh, his finished new cover for it, and it's uh, it's probably one of my favorite pieces that he's done. I love um, Kit's work. Like, yeah, dude. I, he, I I make sure I buy at least a variant and not and more every time I see it comes in a campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And Kit has just been such a pleasure to work with, and he's been just so incredible on on every facet, right? So uh, it's going to give also Brian a, a good little uh, good little break, so he can go ahead and then start on the next uh, Grandma Chainsaw or Pocus Six. And uh, Ken, I, I don't know if you have your phone on you, but I just texted you the cover that Kit drew. I do actually. So I will take a, a quick peek here because we do everything yeah, live it. here. Holy shit. This is awesome. <laughs> this yeah, is, oh my God, this is such a dope cover. Yeah, I can't wait to reveal it. So we're, we're, uh, we're holding, holding that one pretty close to us until uh, probably till the end of the Grandma Chainsaw campaign. Um, oh my God, but, this is so good. But yeah, so we'll have, we'll have that cover. Uh, Brian Belando is going to be doing a variant cover. Uh, and we have a couple other guys doing some variants for us too. So we're, uh, we're just going to have fun, fun with this one just because it's, uh, it's, it's going to be, it's Kit Wallace. So it's going to be wild and crazy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, yep. I, I can't wait for people to see that cover. I can't wait for people to see this book. Alan, final thoughts, final selling point on why somebody listening to this episode right now, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's in podcast form, or it's just somebody sneaking by the ODPH studio should immediately Go to odpagepodcast.com, click the link, and get Grandma Chainsaw number two. Um, because you uh, like like the the idea of the book. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, we just because it's a it's a very fun read. Um, it's it's one of those that does not take itself too seriously. And if you if you want uh, just some some good old fashioned uh, grandma slashing right mm. just just look no further you got this and then again we throw a couple twists and turns in there and you get a chance to meet the dead squad which has been oh uh, my god yeah which has been received uh overwhelmingly positive i saw they uh, already got we, merch yeah so we that the dead squad has been received a lot better than what we thought they were gonna be Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was one of those whenever we ended the book we were like oh, was this like too much left field yeah right uh but people have really loved them and can't wait to see their fate <laughs> so i tell you what if they have not picked up grandma chainsaw number one they definitely need to get it for the dead squad alone but let alone yeah. the story at hand and then trust me when i say this odph society 
you want to make sure you pick up Grandma Chainsaw number two. It is a wild horror story that is just starting to pick up some speed. And you are not ready for what is coming with this book. And the Kickstarter campaign is live right now as we record April 4th. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. The link is right there on the front page. It always goes there because we have that much faith in the book because the stuff that Top Hat Studios is doing is top shelf. No pun intended. Alan, thank you as always for coming on the show. We can't wait to have you back on, brother. Yeah, thank you guys. And uh, I'll be back probably in about a month and a half. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we're already booking that appearance. I know the ODPH Society is excited to hear from you. Come back. And like we said, the liner notes will have the direct link into this. So there's no excuse for you not to immediately go sign up for this campaign, sign up for this book. Hit up Alan on Twitter and let him know what you think of this because it's absolutely going to be something to check out. The Summer of Scare is in full effect with Grandma Chainsaw number 2. That being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And before we get into one-shots, we do have to do a quick review of the CW's Superman and Lois, one of our favorite shows. And we're doing a quick review because, honestly, in our opinions, there wasn't a lot to this episode. Well, it was a good episode, but just in terms of, like, story building and continuing the story, kind of like... Stayed in place a little bit. Yeah. They didn't really do anything to really put the wow factor on for like an entire segment. Right. And not to say it was a bad episode by any means, but we figured, okay, let's do a quick recap for everybody because we do know there's a big portion of the ODPH Society that tunes in to hear us talk about Superman and Lois. With Tyler Hoechlin playing the role of Clark Kent, Elizabeth Tolick playing Lois Lane, Alex Garfin playing Jordan Kent, Michael Bishop playing Jonathan Kent, and the family from Metropolis can't escape their past even in the new city of Smallville, which is Clark Kent's hometown, trouble seems to find them, and this season it all centers around Intergang and Bruno Mannheim, played Pike, Chad L. Coleman. So this episode, entitled Too Close to Home, spoiler-free to statement time, really didn't move the needle so much, but like we touched upon, it kept everything in place. It didn't really put the wow factor in. For me, I don't know about you, Pad. Yeah, no, like it was a good episode, and there were some good moments. I mean, certainly the scene in the diner towards the end of the episode yeah. was fucking wild, you know. And there were some good story points and some good, like, good writing, you know, in terms of like the writers writing for the episode. But just in terms of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened to that person, and I can't believe that person got popped. Like, no, none of that really happened. No, it, it was kind of like a weird throwing you know, stuff at the wall and hoping what sticks. Like, that was the kind of vibe I had with it. But like I say, I know it sounds very negative, but with this setup that they're doing for the season, they have a lot of moving parts <coughs> going on. They're focusing a lot on Lois's battle with cancer. They're focusing on inner gang and what they're doing. And now with the big reveal that they had last episode, everything is now starting to come into place a little bit. And there wasn't anything that was like a super wow, but it was enough that we definitely want to talk about it. 
So that being said, three, two, one, Pad. What did you really think? It was a good episode. You know, it wasn't the best episode, but it didn't feel like filler. No, it definitely didn't feel like filler, but it just seemed like they were trying to focus a lot on obviously Lois's battle with cancer and how she was trying to recover. You know, dealing with you know her first uh, time with chemo, right? And obviously Clark is trying to be a very supportive husband and being very critical on the the two sons, and a little overbearing on his part too. I think, That's yeah, a fair statement, yeah. To the point where John Jordan tries breaking away to help him put out a forest fire. And Jordan has not learned the value of wearing a mask. Nope. Or secret identities. Because his grandfather, General Sam Lane, played by the one and only Dylan Walsh, uh, basically sees him involved and saying, listen, you got to get your hair cut. Yeah. Because Jordan has a very noticeable head of hair. Yeah, and he kind of got spotted on some satellite photos. Yeah, so he's now being trained in the ways of being a superhero, but by General Lane. So that's going to be a little point I think they're going to do moving forward more so. Mm-hmm. Uh, though Jonathan Kent's storyline with his girlfriend Candace and the dad that just won't go away, Emmett, is picking up more steam, but it is getting a little more crazy because Emmett does not like Jonathan Kent and him being around his daughter is not doing anything well. Emmett actually winds up punching Jonathan Kent when he accuses him of stealing his truck, which, I mean, let's face it, he did. I don't think there's any way around that. No no lies were spoken. And then what happens when Lois confronts Emmett? Uh, He pulls a gun on her. Yeah. Mistake number one. (laughs) Yeah. So that situation gets very, very crazy. And then later, Clark decides to confront Emmett. Yeah, because he finds out what happened and how he pulled a gun got pulled out, out on Lois and... Lois says, oh, Superman, or Clark, you can't send Superman after him. And Clark says, Superman's not the one going after him. Yeah. So, very intense scene, but obviously, if you're going to mess with Lois Lane, you got to deal with Superman. And Emmett now learned the hard way because he's taken off. Yeah. uh, Which is the smartest move for him. How long he'll stay away is anybody's guess. Mm -hmm. But as we alluded to in the intro for this, Bruno Mannheim is definitely lurking around here. And now he has pulled his attention to one... John Henry Irons, played by Wooly Parks. Mm -hmm. And we do know that on this Earth, because, well, we do deal with a little bit of time travel, alternate reality, so to speak, the John Henry Irons of this Earth has been killed by Bruno Mannheim. Mm -hmm. So imagine his surprise seeing that John Henry Irons from another planet is now living on this planet. Yeah. And apparently it had something to do with Intergang. Yeah, uh, did some dealings with him Bruno Mannheim, not thrilled to see him. Yeah. So Mannheim does not exactly handle this well. No. And things get very, very messy because Uh when uh, he is confronted by Bruno Mannheim, uh, Mannheim does not exactly, um, how do we put this? Take it well. Take it well because he does have a connection to John Henry's sister, Uh Dr. Darlene Irons, played by Angel Park. And what does Mannheim do, Pat? Straps a bomb. Yeah, it was like straps a bomb. Yeah, uh, which is an absolutely insane scene. But John does make the save. But he definitely has it well staked that this is not the end between them. It's going to get more messy as they go. Mm -hmm. And things will only get worse because of obviously what was revealed last episode is the blood that Mannheim is using to be Dr. Frankenstein Mm -hmm. and mess around is Superman's. Yes. And now Sam Lane has found, well, Intergang is now using that with DOD stuff. And um, 
yeah, you um, really got to fix this problem mm-hmm. in a big hurry, which Superman thinks he does. But let's face it, Bruno Mannheim is still one step ahead. We have a lot of ways to go. Yes, we do. And pretty much that's kind of wraps up the big points of the episode, except when Lois goes um, to the hospital of in Hobbs Bay mm-hmm. uh, for her chemo treatment. Uh, she doesn't realize that that area is actually ran by one Bruno Mannheim, mm-hmm. which is going to play a bigger factor as the season progresses. But a lot of just moving the story forward. I mean, we didn't really get into the whole Kyle, Lana, Sarah Mesta is going on. It's kind of more of the same. Yeah. So, I mean, it didn't really progress a lot forward. But like I say, there's enough snippets in this episode. It kept the audience entertained. But I didn't it, hate it. Yeah. Like I say, if we have to rank it, I mean, it's average. Yeah. I and mean, but like I say, it's not bad considering the te- the quality of the show. Right. But it's nothing to really write home about. So I mean, that's the one thing about this episode. But as always, we always say hit us up on that hashtag and let us know what you thought about episode four of season three of Superman and Lois. We gave you our takes, now we want to hear yours. But before we get on out of here, it's one shot time. So pad. What you got? Well, I think we got to talk about some of the trailers that came out uh, within the last god fucking twenty four hours. Yeah, let's drop everything at the exact same time. Crazy. Uh, you had the Spider Man Across the tr- Spider Verse trailer, which looked awesome. It looked amazing. Coming out uh, June second. Definitely going to be first day in line watching this. It captured the magic from the original, and man, I can't wait to see where <laughs> they go. Uh, Earth nineteen. 19- <laughs> thousand and ninety nine. Yeah. Nine hundred ninety nine. Yeah. There's a lot of nines involved. Yeah, there is. Because we're dealing with the Spider-Verse. We're dealing with a lot of Spider-Men that mm-hmm. we've seen in the comics and some variations. And the spot is going to be the big villain. Yes. I don't know how that's going to play out. Yeah, I, I'm sure it'll be fine. I really, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Like I say, uh, the fact that we have Spider-Man 2099 appearing to be the big villain going after mm-hmm. Miles Morales. Yeah. Well, that's how, that's how it appears. We'll, uh, we'll be it for Marvel to not pull the wool over our eyes with a trailer. Exactly. That's what I say. So very excited about that. But that wasn't Marvel's only entry this week. No, uh, they also had the Secret Invasion trailer drop, which is coming to Disney Plus on June 21st. Yeah, this looked excellent. Uh, I know the still poster they have out right now. Still posters with uh, Nick Fury and like some shredded up documents. But amongst those shredded up documents, you can see a scroll face. Yeah. So a lot of excitement to be had around this. We don't know what direction it's going to go in, and I like how they're keeping everybody guessing. Yeah. Because if it was just too predictable, I mean, I don't know if it would have the same kind of vibe, to be honest with you. Right. So I am excited to see where we go. We did hear Amelia Clark um, did get announced, like her character got revealed, which I, I, I got to admit, yeah. I'm not happy about hearing. Right. Well, I know she posted some behind-the-scenes photos on her Instagram today. Uh, Gaia, I think is how you say it. Yeah. G apostrophe I-A-H. Yeah, and it's Talos' daughter. Mm, okay. So, like, that was the thing I was like, I was hoping they didn't reveal. Right. And it's the one thing, I mean, Marvel has been pretty good about not revealing a lot. Right. But, yeah, this one I was kind of like, ah, oh, like, did we really have to go there? Right. So, either way, I mean, obviously we're going to be covering it on the show when it comes up. Yeah. Super excited to see what that's about. Yeah. And then we did get a trailer from DC. Yeah. Uh, Blue Beetle. Yes. Looked amazing. Yolo Madurino. I uh, apologize for uh, butchering the name. You know him from Cobra Kai on Netflix. So he'll be playing the role of Jaime Reyes. And the trailer looked awesome. Like mm-hmm. I say, if if you're not familiar with the character, I thought they did a great intro uh, without giving too much away. Right. Because, uh, I mean, this is not the Ted Cord, which some people might know from the Justice League International run and, and back in, like, the you know the 80s time period. Mm-hmm. So 
I do love that you know Jaime Reyes is going to be the lead role here. We do know Susan Sarandon is going to be playing Victoria Cord. Nice. And George Lopez is playing Uncle Rudy Reyes. Oh, okay. So, like I say, they have some very, very cool actors a part of this show, or this movie, rather. Movie, yeah. And, like I say, the CGI, it looked good. The only thing that kind of threw me a little bit, I'm not a fan of, like, the... Um, font they used for the logo. Mm. It just had this weird 80s vibe. Oh, no, yeah, me. it does. It, yeah. Yeah, it does. But I love the trailer. Like, I, I thought the Yolo is absolutely going to crush this role. And like I say, if you've seen him on Cobra Kai, you know he's he's an awesome actor. So to see where they go with this movie, I'm telling you what, this could be the sleeper film of the year. Well, in, it could be. In all honesty. It looked fun. It looked, it, it looked nothing like the Snyderverse. More so like Aquaman. Yeah, a uh, movie dropping on August 18th in theaters. Thought it looked familiar. You know why that font looks really familiar? Hmm. It's the uh, purple. It's the purple rain font. Oh, get out! It's it's the yeah. Because I'm like that looks really familiar. Yeah, once get you, the hell out of here. Said 80s. Yeah, no. It's, I'm looking at the cover of Purple Rain. It's the purple rain font. That's what, that's what it is. Yeah. I because because those B like you look at the B in in Blue Beetle. Yeah. Drop the bottom part of the B. And just look at it as a P. Yeah. And I'm showing Ken, you know, the P from Purple Rain. That's what that's what they did. They they borrowed the font from Purple Rain. Pat is the plug for the reason, folks. He gets okay. he he has all these information. I but you're right that that absolutely because it just had this weird '80s vibe, and I'm like, I'm lo- and I'm looking at the poster for the first time, and I'm like, that font looks really familiar. And then you said '80s, I'm like, hold on, it's clicking. Yeah. But I love how they show the suit, <coughs> and then they show a little bit of the powers, what he's doing, and like I say. This is going to be a surprise hit, I think, for anybody that's worried about, like, the next phase of DC. And obviously we know there is pre-James Gunn, post-James Gunn. I don't think it's going to matter with this one. I think that you're going to see Blue Beetle stick around. Yes. He's a very popular character in the comics, so I wouldn't doubt that, you know, this will be the start of something special. And like I say, the tra- the trailer looked amazing. Like I say, it looked super fun. They captured the power CGI look good, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So a lot of wind to be going on with this movie, so... Definitely making sure I have my tickets ready when it comes out. Yes. On August 18th, I believe. Yeah, August 18th, yeah. So definitely super excited for that. Pad? I uh, just got some comic picks to pick out for the week. Uh, only a few. Uh, one from DC, that is Adventures of Superman, John Kent, uh, written by Tom Taylor. Oh, so good. I don't want to spoil anything about this. I, I've read it. Holy fuck. What the shit? God damn. Uh, enough said. <laughs> Say what you mean, bro. Yeah. Uh, and then from the Marvel side of things, you've got Amazing Spider-Man issue number 23. I uh, got that one coming out this week. Uh, you've also got uh, Star Wars Hidden Empire issue number five. This is the last issue in the little mini series they've been doing with uh, Darth Vader, Kira from uh, Han Solo, who was who was played by Amelia Clark, uh, and then also the Emperor. This has been phenomenal to read and absolutely amazing. And last, certainly not least, Star Wars issue number 33, uh, written by Charles Soule. It's got a pissed off looking Luke and staring at Darth Vader holding his lightsaber. Need I say any more? Nope. No, you don't. I mean, that cover looks amazing. Uh, For me, standing on the Marvel side of things, uh, it's a great two shot for me because I'm a super big Stephanie Phillips fan. Definitely have to reach out and see if she wants to talk some grim on the show. Uh, Stay tuned for that. Because uh, Grim by Boom Studios, I will rave about that book series all the time. So putting the karma out there, we we are able to hook that up. But she has two great books out uh, from Marvel, Rogue and Gambit number two mm. and Cosmic Ghost Rider number two. Both books, solid number one issues. Really loved Rogue and Gambit. Okay. Uh, if I have to choose one or the other. But Cosmic Ghost Rider, see, I mean, obviously, if you know anything about the character, 
it's not your average ghost writer. Right. So there's a lot of things that I like that she brought out in him. Mm-hmm. And I thought the artwork on both books was, was great. So like I recommend both those from Marvel. Uh, and then going to the Parlay Points block section, uh, Comixology Originals really had two great books dropped this week. Grammaton Punch, number two. So this story is about the young boy that can see ghosts because he's born during a solar eclipse. Right. Book is absolutely phenomenal. Like I say, it's fun. It's energetic. Miles Gunter, Brian Andon, uh, and the team like absolutely like crushed this. So if you like the first issue, I was a big fan of it. It was a surprise for me. Kept the same vibe. Took the story in a couple different places though. Okay. So I wasn't expecting, and the final act is a curveball. So I was not expecting where we're going with this, mm-hmm. but I was like, okay. And we'll see how this plays out because we do know it's a limited series. So they're moving things right along. And I am very, very intrigued to see where we're heading after this issue. So super excited about that. Also, Comixology Originals and coming to print via Dark Horse Comics <coughs> sooner than later is the the news I am, if I caught online correctly, the what I'm hearing. Barnstormers number five. Hmm. Scott Snyder, Tula Lote. Okay, phenomenal series. Love this series. The story, The Ballad of Love and Murder, mm-hmm. set in the World War I era. Really caught my attention. Wow, I don't mean to yell in the mic, but I'm super excited to talk about this book. And it had breathtaking artwork. I, I say that all the time because Lote's art just, ow, like I, I left me speechless because of how amazing it is. And the story that Scott Snyder is weaving through here about... <laughs> A World War II pilot who's now turned into an aerial showman who makes the very, very bad mistake about crashing into a wedding that he had no part of accidentally, but his life is now turned upside down by running into Tilly, and she leaves her um, fiancé at the altar, and the Bonnie and Clyde, Robin Hood-esque life they live after this, it really never loved, like... It it never escaped my pull list uh, digitally. It has always been a book that I it surprised me each issue that came out, mm-hmm. and just the story of this because I was kind of skeptical because I'm not too big into like historical movies like time period so to speak. But this one really got me, and like I say, they don't focus a lot like on the World War One era, but it's just set in a, a different time period. The vibe is different, but it has a whole energy on its own. And like I say, I love the story that was going on with Bix and Tilly. And it built up to a fever pitch last issue. The conclusion doesn't let you down at all. And it really goes to show, like, how far you would go to capture a dream or or let it slip. Like, it is just a phenomenal read. One of Scott Snyder's best books. And you know me. I read a lot of his stuff. Really enjoyed this issue. Really can't wait to pick it up in print form, like I say, because I do like going to get these books when they get released in print via Dark Horse Comics. And if I read – like I said, if I read correctly – this is coming out sooner than later. So super excited to pick this up when it drops. And I highly recommend if you haven't picked it up yet on Comixology Originals, go get it and go get the print uh, series that comes out. Clear is now coming out on print. So that is my favorite of Scott Snyder's run of all seven, mm-hmm. I believe seven books he's done thus far on the Best Jacket Press line. I love that book and that's now on print. So definitely a lot of reason to go to the comic shop and still go to Comixology Originals to go pick these books up. And then last on my list for this week, uh, keep it a massive verse and the fun story that's going on in Radiant Pink, number four, Megan Carmarina, 
Melissa Flores, Emma Kubert. The youngest Radiant is still doing a lot of world traveling with her mysterious companion. And this series is just fun. Like, that's the thing. It's not to t- be taken over seriously. Pad, there is a huge, giant cat spaceship. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of vibe that happens here. Okay. But it's it makes sense to the story. So, like I say, um, it's not your, you know, like I say, it's not an average story by any means. It's an enjoyable one. It's fun. It's energetic. Um, I'm not sure where they're going with the final issue because it did take a big curve in the third act okay. of this issue. So, super excited to see how it plays out. And, like I say, it's Massiverse. Uh, I will be picking it up. And, like I say, this has just been a very, very enjoyable series. Um, so definitely, you know, keep an eye out for it when you go hit the comic shops. And as we always say to close out this edition of the ODPH, make sure to go out and support your local comic shops wherever you are and support your favorite local independent comic podcast. We're putting a lot of work in to give you the books that you need to know about each and every week. That being said, for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one only, Padawan J. I just want to point out the creator of Mario, Shigeru Miyamoto, says we shouldn't trust Dr. Mario. That's a wild statement in 2023, folks. (laughs) Facts. Absolutely facts. My name is Kenan. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. Thank you.